Alright, well, the first... I forgot to rank my top three and bottom three. Okay. So, give me, like, a couple minutes. Please remain on the line, as we value your call. Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Stuart Hollis. And I'm Thad Haight. And this week... We are talking about Star Trek Voyager, but not a specific episode, because this is our last episode of the season, so we're talking about the season. Yes, the aborted first season of Voyager. Really? There were a couple episodes that were originally supposed to be part of season one that ended up being season two, because the season was shorter than originally anticipated. Obviously, TV Guide doesn't have a synopsis for us. I mean, I say obviously, but I kind of feel like, you know, we're important. Why don't we get a synopsis, too? But here we are. Now I'm wondering if Memory Alpha has individual season articles. Oh, now he wonders. No, there's an article about the season one trading cards. Well, I mean, a quick a quick synopsis from me is that in the first season of Voyager, we set off the underlying plot of the show which is they are sucked into the delta quadrant by the caretaker array Mm -hmm. and they need to make their way seventy thousand light years back home while dealing poorly in terms of like actually telling us stories with the fact that the crew is divided between starfleet and maquis and a couple of random aliens they picked up along the way and that seventy thousand light years i believe was roughly 75 years of travel 70 or 75 years. Yeah, I can't remember what number. I know that like they bandy about 70 a lot. Maybe they're just rounding. Yeah. It's hard to say. Uh, I don't fully understand the warp scale, especially because logarithms have always confused me, even when I was still taking math. So, Same. yeah. So we're going to go through some things uh, to recap our season. Thad, tell us what things we're going through to recap our season. We're going to talk about our top three episodes, our bottom three episodes our most favorite character really most favorite because with least favorite character like least favorite because it's not like most hated necessarily just least favorite yeah and then it, it it left me feeling weird that it's like favorite character least favorite character it's like i need a modifier yeah but that's usually how you see that though i know but i want a modifier i'm not gonna say most favorite i'm gonna our favorite character of the season most favorite our least favorite character of the season how the characters have grown if at all these are not necessarily the characters that were our least or most favorite this is true the harry kim death count the one and done count which i hope you actually have the tallies on of course excellent when you say of course do you actually mean of course of course (laughs) see i can't tell because you use that tone that means (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you may not. Do we need to quick do that as well? Of course. <laughs> uh, no, no I, I'm I'm pretty solid on the counts. Okay, good. Because the one and done, I can't do off the top of my head. I can think back on Harry Cam and do it and just like pull that out of memory. But uh, torpedo count, which I really, I have this one's easy. Okay. You, oh right, it's just the first however many seconds of that video i guess right was to figure mm-hmm. that out and then we're going to take a quiz which is probably not very good but it's tradition yeah we also did ask on twitter if there was anything that our listeners wanted to hear and uh there were a couple people mentioned some things so i think maybe we should uh, go over that first what do you think 
Yeah, you want to launch right into the Twitter stuff that we got? Yeah. We can do that. We can start with uh, Carl, at Listening to Film. You will probably remember Carl from our episode on Eye of the Needle. Better remember Carl. (laughs) (laughs) He would like to have mostly you talk some more about rake pips. I don't think I got the impression from this tweet that he somehow feels like you didn't talk about them enough this past season. Mostly I think he was joking, but since you asked Carl, I'm going to recap the rank pips. Some weird stuff happened with the rank pips in season one. I don't know. I don't think they continue to happen, but we'll see. I could be completely wrong. Most of these are things I never noticed until I watched them on a hundred inch screen. So, Tuvok starts out as a lieutenant commander for most of the season, but he's always called a lieutenant. Paris is promoted to full lieutenant. He's given two solid gold rank pips in the first episode, and then towards the end of the season, he mysteriously becomes a lieutenant junior grade, and it's never mentioned. And then we have the whole thing on the Maquis, because you could probably write a tome on that, but... First off, I still think it's dumb that the Maquis have separate but equal rank pips, because how are we supposed to make these people be just like the rest of the crew if they have an obvious signifier that they're not part of the regular crew? And secondly, it really seems like costuming wasn't paying attention to what ranks were on those Maquis pips, because Torres fluctuates quite a bit between lieutenant, junior grade, and full lieutenant, and... We have crewmen who have black lines on their rank pips, which would seem to indicate a non-commissioned officer. So it's just a whole mess, and, uh, well, just, you'd think they would have paid a little more attention. Stuart, do you have anything to add on rank pips? Ah! Sorry, I blacked out there. (laughs) Uh, no, I have, I have nothing, I have nothing to add to any rank pip discussion (laughs) i am the lesser commentator on that front but but i am prepared to address Anne at amun 74656 nice handle indeed asking us to talk about the doctor becoming a part of the crew because that was something that i keyed in a lot uh, keyed in on a lot in this past season and watching his growth, which was very enjoyable. And we should call attention to Anne's subtle Star Trek-themed Twitter handle with the Voyager registry number there. Indeed. Absolutely. But, yeah, the Doctor becoming part of the crew, it happens a little bit in Season 1, because we get him asking for some autonomy and asking for the ability not to be turned off. And, and obviously, this will be a even bigger part of the story in later seasons but it's definitely starting to be there in season one and this is going to dive a little bit into our character growth discussion but the doctor's character growth is one of my favorite parts about voyager yeah just wait till we get to future's end (laughs) indeed uh uh, yes uh his how he look approaches taking a name uh, his thoughts on that, which we already get kind of glimpses of in this first season. I, as we discussed at the time, he doesn't really get back into it for a while. But that would have been nice to see as a, as a recurring thing. But 
over the course of just the season, we do see how he changes in how he works with the crew. Um, and I think that's a no small part thanks to Kess's efforts, which I'll get into uh, later when talking about our characters. Yes, absolutely. And then we also got some comments from Rick, uh, at TrekFanRick on Twitter. He wanted us to talk about the Starfleet Maquis tensions that could have been, uh, possibly other things that might have been, and why Tuvok is the best. Well, I'll agree with you, TrekFanRick. Tuvok is pretty awesome. Uh, I'm not really sure that we can expound upon that, other than that Tuvok is just awesome. Uh, He... I like how I like Tuvok is probably the best example, and I, I heard this on another podcast, and I don't remember which one. Uh, but Tuvok is the best example of Vulcan shade throwing in the void in, in the Star Trek franchise. That may have been our podcast. I want to say that that might have been our podcast. Actually, now that I think, about it. <laughs> uh, I, I I know that uh, our recurring you know friend of the pod. Uh, ben Nielsen is a huge fan of Tuvok and the Vulcan Shade. Well, who isn't a fan of Vulcan Shade? Neelix, probably. That's fair. Since he's the victim of it so often. Mm. And rightly so. Indeed. I don't have anything to add about Tuvok being the best. No, not really. I mean, it it just sort of stands on its own. It's pretty great. The Starfleet Maquis tension, absolutely. Oh, we talked about that a bit. Or at least I think we talked about that a bit last week. We did. <laughs> I'm glad you'd remember. No, I, I think that, and yes, we had discussed uh, the t- tensions that could have been between the two crews. It, you know, they butt heads on again, off again in a handful of episodes throughout the season, and obviously Seska going traitor. But that's that's more of like a Seska thing than a Maquis thing, mm-hmm. really. Because, and again, like this has to do with probably this how TV was being made when Voyager came out, where mm-hmm. they were more interested in doing these... I mean, Voyager's on a long seven-season arc of trying to get home, but you could just grab any old one or two episodes at random and be like, okay, yeah. you can just get dropped right into the story, and you might be slightly confused, because the last time you were just dropped into the story could have been three seasons earlier or later. You might be like, well, hold on a second, their hair is weird. This is outside of Janeway. One just always assumes Janeway's hair is weird. Yes, but, but yeah, there's there, there's a lot that could have been. Yeah, and uh, Star Trek fans will often point out, and rightly so, that Deep Space Nine did some more serial stuff than Voyager did, but there's a reason for that. Voyager was the show that the studio was focusing on. It was their flagship show, and uh, the studio, and especially Rick Berman who was one of the executive producers, one of the... Pretty much, he was the head honcho in charge of the Star Trek franchise at the time. Uh, Wanted an episodic show. Deep Space Nine pretty much had free reign to do whatever they wanted because they weren't the flagship show. They were the other Star Trek show. Right, because they were in between Next Generation and Voyager. Yeah, DS9 was never the only Star Trek show on TV. Okay. As for other stories that would have been nice to have been explored... I can't really think of many. Uh, for me, I want to say... Not the Hollow novel. Absolutely not the Hollow novel. Uh, I want to say that 
at the very least, we should have seen more lasting damage to the ship itself. Yes. They do get into a couple of scuffles. That's not a story, per se, but definitely they hit the reset button a little hard in Voyager. If the ship gets damaged, it, everything's fixed by the next week. And that's, that can definitely be true for some things, but I feel like you're stuck in the Delta Quadrant. Uh, supplies are at a premium. They have replicator rations, after all. Uh, if the paint gets scuffed, are they really going to send Crewman Ricky out to fix it? I would. Hmm. Okay. Ricky deserves it. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, I was actually just reading up on this a little bit. Obviously, you get into the actual real production reason, which is a physical models, mm-hmm. which then would cost money to damage and then restore mm-hmm. in a way that didn't make it look like you know it's weird that same hull plate just keeps falling off. <laughs> uh, a la the like He-Man with realistic damage action. <laughs> um, then they started like mixing in the CG, but they never went fully CG for the ship, which like which is where they could have started doing the lasting damage effect. But they kept mixing it in with either reused stock footage from earlier in the season or the practical studio model. Yeah, and here in season one, there was not that much CG. A few scenes were, but it was almost all model work. Uh, right. But again, like, they wanted to reuse shots, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, that's how Star Trek was made. Yeah. So, why, uh, you know, why break the mold? Right, and obviously you can point to later sci-fi, if we step away from star blank and go to blank star, on Battlestar Galactica, the Galactica did get progressively more beat up as the show went on, and that worked well, And uh, Mm -hmm. but the Galactica was also never a physical model, Right. so that was easier. Let us now go through our top and bottom three episodes. I'm interested to see if we, how much, if any, overlap we have. I'm sure we both have agree on the worst episode. But other than that... Do you want to start at the top or start at the bottom? Let's start at the bottom. That way we get progressively better. Okay. Although I want to go... Well, I mean, not really, because I want to start with the third worst and go down to bottom and then... But anyway. All right. Give me your third worst. My third worst is time and again. Time and again? Yes. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great either. When I was approaching the bottom three, there was only one that I just hate this season. But there were a few that weren't great, and Time and Again was not very great. And as, especially how early it was in the show, they really needed to be stacking the deck and giving some good episodes at the beginning, and this was not one of them. Hmm. Well, my third worst is Parallax. Interesting. It, it, honest to God, it was a tie between it between that and Time and Again. Yeah, and I could see a lot of the same arguments for why Time and Again made my list probably applied to you with Parallax. Yeah. Uh, you know, they both have a little bit of problem solving, solving and crew coming together, but it's, you know. Parallax gets saved for me because, because it... It actually does have some character growth, because it has Bellana becoming have, yeah. the chief engineer. That's a strong argument. I think I will change my answer. <laughs> that 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 is definitely, like like I said, it was a, it was a close tie between Parallax and Time and Again. Mm. I mean, there were a lot of just sort of, okay, yeah. that was a Star Trek episode, episodes. 
So, like, choosing my third best and third worst were kind of difficult. Yeah. Well, moving on down <laughs> to second worst. Yeah. Faces. Okay. I can definitely I can definitely see the argument for that. I thought about faces. I went with Phage. Oh, that's interesting. Mostly just because Neelix. Oh. That's fair. <laughs> and not like good Neelix either. Right. Ex post facto, I assume, is your worst episode? Yes, ex post facto is my worst episode. <laughs> because that's the one on this list that I, unless I was doing a completionist rewatch, I would just always skip. Because, right. ugh. Oh, yeah, definitely. Terrible, terrible episode. Uh, okay, so your third best. My third best is Jatrell, hmm. because that's a good Neelix episode. We have some good character moments with Neelix. We have a great guest star performance. I, I just really like Jatrell. It is a nice allegory, whether the producers believe it or not. So my third best was The Cloud. Okay. Which felt like Parallax done good. Yeah, I'll, I'll allow that. I like The Cloud. It didn't make my list, but I liked it. Mm -hmm. So my second best is Learning Curve. And I really like uh, getting back to Trek Fan Rick. Uh, Learning Curve is a Tuvok episode. And I thought Tuvok did... It was a good episode for Tuvok. I, re I enjoyed the Lower Decks-esque approach of seeing... Getting into the lives of the crewmen on the ship. And I thought it was a pretty great episode. Nice. So my second best was actually Phage. Interesting. I I liked that we got a foe, even if they're not going to be like the recurring foe, as we discussed. Uh, you know, the Kazon are going to take on that role, but the Vidians are the are Starfleet's technological match. Yeah, and exceed them in some ways, and they're a culture that isn't inherently evil or warlike or anything like that it's just take the federation and push them to the teetering edge of extinction mm -hmm. perpetually and see what happens there's some deep space nine quotes that are relevant for that hmm. but that's this is not a deep space nine episode uh show so no. we won't go no. in there i mean obviously yes neelix heavy but also Doctor heavy, cast mm. heavy. Sure, the, the the weird bad CG but otherwise good cave asteroid sequence. <laughs> yeah, like, there there was a lot to like in in uh, in Phage. So this is interesting, uh, especially because Phage was my second worst and it's your second best. But also, of the two Vidian episodes, I definitely preferred Faces. Where it sounds like you definitely preferred Phage to Faces. The only thing I preferred about Faces was that it did give us more insight into the Vidians, and again, shame that they're not going to be, like, a recurring... Well, we'll see them a couple more times in Season 2. Okay, that's excellent. I'm, I'm glad they will be coming back, because, as I said, since they are the Federation, or Starfleets, I'm not sure which one is the more appropriate um, term to use here. Yeah. In fact, there is a very Doctor-heavy Vidian episode in Season 2. That's not surprising. Yeah. Considering who the Vidians are. Right. All right, well, give me your best. My best episode was Eye of the Needle. Really? Yeah. Okay, mine was a Caretaker. I give extra props to, A, it's a double, B, it kicks off the series, 
yeah, it it, it gets it gets bonus points. I like it. Caretaker for the most part. I don't like most of the stuff that actually involves the Caretaker. That's a fair point. But I feel Caretaker is a great series beginning episode up until the moment they beam onto the array and they're in a hoedown. I was okay with the hoedown. Mm. But, yeah, the later bit with the... Yeah. The later stuff with the Caretaker, though, I was right. less than crazy about. But Eye of the Needle, I like. It's a. Mm-hmm. It's just a decent Star Trek episode in general. I thought it had some nice sci-fi elements to it. Uh, as with Jatrell, we have another recurring Star Trek guest star in it, and I really enjoyed it. And I, I think it's amazing that we... That are neither of our there is no overlap at all with our top three. That's awesome. Yeah, especially I have such a small list of episodes too. <laughs> right, and it does make it's it's especially interesting because when we did this uh, for season one in Stargate Weekly, I believe our top three were the same. They were just in different orders. Yeah, I think like between the two of us, we had like four top threes. Like maybe like our number threes were different. Right. We, 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 there was there was strong overlap uh, in our in our top three. And also, you know, crazy strong overlap in our bottom three. Uh, Stargate SG-1 had some very clear stinkers in their first season. Yeah. Okay. So, tell me who was your most favorite character. Uh, My favorite character in season one is probably B'Elanna. Strong choice. Yeah. I'm going to pull a a Ben here. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you two answers. Okay. So there was Balana, who was who had you asked me before going into this, who was one of, who was your favorite or one of your favorite characters from Voyager. Balana was on my short list, mm-hmm. like top three easily. So going into season one, I was expecting her to be the clear favorite. In reality, Cass is actually probably my favorite character from season one. See. For me, Kess is still not my favorite character, but she definitely made the jump from least favorite, like well up from least favorite. Right, and a lot of it is because I was going into it like not remembering much about Kess other than that she wasn't around for very long, and that when she was around, it was kind of like, oh, it's Kess. Uh, like not like overtly being like wanting to turn off the TV or anything, but also not being super excited that she was on screen. Whereas in this time around, you know, what a difference 15 to 20 years makes. Mm -hmm. And I care about feelings and I care about helping people grow. And Mm -hmm. Kess is all about that. And also her own personal growth. Yeah. Going into this, I probably, I would have said Bellana was my choice for for best character before I watched. Uh, But I definitely, I would have said Kess was my least favorite when we went into this and that is absolutely not true now in fact my least favorite is for season one is tom paris it's a tie between tom paris and neelix ah see neelix would it neelix neelix is a strong contender for me but neelix has character growth in this season tom paris does not all of neelix's character growth you're right tom paris has none but i feel like all of neelix's comes from jatrell when he thinks he's about to die and he's reflecting upon like his sure, time in the war but that's still more growth than tom paris but even when he's doing that he's still being a massive jerk to kess that's fair 
Like, when he's not, like, psychologically abusing her and gaslighting her and dismissing her, he's telling her, oh, thank God, I'm now, I'm gonna die first. I have to deal with being sad. Another one that I w- wouldn't have called my least favorite character, but was definitely low down and made it higher on the list for me, is Chakotay. I mm-hmm. was not expecting to like Chakotay in season one, but when Chakotay actually had an opportunity to be an important character, I thought he did very well. Yes. Which leads nicely into character growth. Indeed. I also had Chakotay listed down there for character growth as he evolved from being a sort of faded brown leather armchair (laughs) to the ship's anthropologist and Janeway's uh, confidant and first officer. Yes. I think Janeway definitely had some character growth as well as she comes to grips with the fact that she's responsible for this crew out in the middle of nowhere and i i enjoyed that as well uh obviously the doctor we already talked about that had mm-hmm. a lot of growth kess had a lot of growth uh neelix had some uh harry kim not so much nope tom paris not at all yep balana definitely had some growth mostly towards oh, yeah. the beginning but then we also had faces mm-hmm. so yeah and tuvok some with prime factors, but not that much. But as we've already established, Tuvok's character was pretty awesome to begin with. That's right. Yeah. With with Chakotay and Bellana, since they're the two kind of like primary Maki mm-hmm. characters, with Chakotay, as soon as he put on the uniform, he was Starfleet again. And yeah. he recognized his responsibility as first officer Getting back to, gosh, would it be nice if we had some more conflict and growth between the Maki and Starfleet crews? <laughs> you know, his growth also came from being the intermediary between the two halves of the crews, between the two halves of the crew, to standing on, like on his own right instead of just like being called and like, oh, there's a Maki scuffle. Whereas Balana, she resented the uniform from the get go, and then sort of slowly became Starfleet as the season went on. Yes, and I very much enjoyed that. So let's get into our counts. Yes. How many times did Harry Kim die? Well, I don't have it written down, so how many times did Harry Kim die, Stuart? Once. Wait, I thought we had a half-death. When was the half-death? I don't remember, but oh no, that was, I'm getting our, I'm crossing uh the streams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He died once in Emanations. And we're not going to count Caretaker where he probably would have died if he hadn't been rescued? Because he had the sickness that the Okamba couldn't treat. Uh, yeah, no, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna count that. Like the, we, we 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 can only really count that. See, I count that sort of thing in Stargate Weekly if, when, for example, someone gets crushed in a rock slide. Okay, yeah, fair enough. And then they like wake up in the sarcophagus. With Harry Kim, he escaped on his own and then was rescued and this that like he wasn't he was not on death's door Mm, okay he was very very ill but he was not on death's door all right yeah all right that's fair but he definitely dies in emanations oh 100 percent dead no two ways about it to move on to our torpedo count Mm -hmm. it's the same answer one they just used that one in the cloud yep only in in season one they only fire one torpedo that we see 
Correct. Obviously, they could have fired even more off screen. Yes, which means that as far as we know, they have 37 torpedoes remaining and no way to replace them. <laughs> now, finally, here is the tricky one, which is how many times did Star Trek Voyager introduce a piece of technobabble and then never use it ever again? <laughs> well, my answer was four. Okay. This is based on my best go- like recollection and going back through my notes. Right. And we obviously may have skipped a couple technobabble things, but yeah. Yes, there may have been ones that we didn't catch because they just sort of sounded like something else. You know, like, a, let's say, like, like iridium, for example, is an actual thing that we actually know about. But if they had said, like, iridium and, like, mm-hmm. we didn't catch it, or biridium, and again, we didn't quite catch it, then, okay, I guess that's on us. But I, I had four. Okay. All right. That one actually may have been... Yes, that one was definitely four, because there was a one point where we were, like, they used the same techno babble in two back-to-back episodes, or, like, maybe, like, three episodes apart, but then again, it never comes up ever again in Voyager or any other Star Trek. So we counted that as one as well. Okay. Because it was encapsulated in season one, and it was talking about the same basic stuff. All right. Now, I want to go over the some of the writers and directors of this season. Do it. Okay. So... The director who directed the most episodes this season is uh, Vinrick Kolba, who I it's entirely possible I completely pronounced his name incorrectly. But anyway, he directed four episodes. He's a veteran Star Trek director. And then we have Kim Friedman, Les Landau, and David Livingston all directed three each. They are also well-known Star Trek directors. As far, nice. as far as writing goes, the number of writing credits we have, the max, the highest is Brandon Braga at five, who also veteran Star Trek mm-hmm. writer ended up running Star Trek for a while, not uh, uh, during later seasons of Voyager, and then he was the showrunner for Enterprise. Uh, and then we had Michael Piller, who was veteran Star Trek writer, one of the executive producers and creators of the show. Uh, mm-hmm. He did four, and Jerry Taylor, also same as Michael Piller, one of the co-creators, she had two, and then we had Kenneth Biller with two writing credits as well, another veteran Star Trek writer. But I, I found it interesting that we had so many repeats, uh, especially when we only had 16 episodes. I don't find that all that surprising. My understanding of how a lot of these work is that you have, like, you'll have your head writer or head writers and then a writer's room um, where they're, like, saying, like, hey, I really want a thing where, like, I, I wrote a couple, I wrote a scene where Neelix makes Tuvok's childhood dish. Mm. Uh, but, like, the like the bones of the story are coming from the head writer or they're taking someone else's and really flushing it out or that sort of thing. So it's it's not all that surprising to me that the list of people who get the writing credit is relatively small. Now, there are two other names who contributed to one episode uh, that we already mentioned Jonathan Glaster when we talked about Faces. He provided the original story idea for that, and he is more famously known for being one of the creators of Stargate SG-1. And then also... Uh, we had Naren Shanker, who did, or Shankar, 
who did Heroes and who wrote Heroes and Demons completely. He did the story and the teleplay all by himself, which is nice. Unusual in and of itself for season one. There's only one other episode, Emanations, which Brandon Braga did all the writing on. All of the others were collaborative effort, efforts. Mm-hmm. And Naren Shankar is has a very long... He's the only other name I recognized, and he's done a lot of TV writing, a lot of sci-fi writing. He's currently one of the executive producers on The Expanse, which is a sci-fi nice. show on sci-fi. And... So that's why I just wanted to mention him as well, because he's a name I recognized. Nice. I don't have any list of writers or directors or choreographers or anything like that for you. So thank you for putting that together. Yeah. I just thought it was something that we should probably talk about. Yeah. Quiz? Yes. Let me bring that quiz up. It's from Absurd Trivia, and it's called Do You Know Voyager Season 1? And I'm thinking the author of this quiz didn't, because I can only see the first question, and I already know it's not from season one. Well, we're, you know, we got, we got to stay the course. Send me the link. Yes, I have sent you the link. I have the link. And now, a brief interlude while we take a quiz. Yes. I'm done. But I'm also done. Which one did it say you got wrong? It said I got question one wrong, but I definitely clicked the I definitely clicked the right answer. It says I didn't click any of the answers. So Ah, okay. I clicked Bologna Torres. Well, that's not wrong. Uh, yeah, I I, I mean know if it is wrong because no one necessarily Anyway, we should tell our we should tell our listeners. Yes. So so this was only ten questions. Mm-hmm. Uh so this this next uh, sequence we will try to uh kind of rapid fire lightning round it. Mm-hmm. Uh we're not going to give you, like, what their options were. No, most of them weren't funny anyway, so... Uh, none of them were funny. So... I thought one of them was funny. Okay, so question one. Yeah, question one is, who finds out she is pregnant? And the correct answer is, no one finds out they are pregnant in season one. But the answer they were looking for was Samantha Wildman, which happens in season two. Yes, I picked Belana Torres because although I recognize that Samantha Waldman does get pregnant, it wasn't in season one, so... And Belana does get pregnant in season seven, so, yeah. Uh, right, so, and I know that Cass and Janeway, the other two options, hadn't gotten pregnant, so... Right. But the rest of them actually are season one questions. Number yes. two is who saves the day in Heroes and Demons. The Doctor. Yeah. Number three is who was not ordered to boot camp. This is in Learning Curve. Yes, it doesn't say that, but from the other choices we know. Yes, and the answer is Lieutenant Carey. And number four is what organ does Neelix have removed? This is from Phage. Indeed. Lungs. Yeah. Well, they say lung, but... But it was both. It was just one. There wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah. Presumably. I don't know how Thalaxians work. Right. Okay, number five is who has his nose broken? And this is from Parallax. Back to Lieutenant Carey. Yes. Number six, what is Paris found guilty of in Ex Post Facto? So you sometimes they give us the episode mm-hmm. names. And that was murder. But number seven, in which episode does Janeway find her spear guide? Obviously, they're not going to tell us. Right. And the answer is the cloud. Correct. What kind of vessel does Voyager make contact with in Eye of the Needle? A Romulan vessel. Number nine, what two officers get taken back in time before a devastating explosion? Paris and Janeway. And finally, what are the Sakarians well known for? Creepiness. But the answer is outstanding hospitality. Yes, it should have been option E, outstanding creepiness. Yeah. 
Very pleasurable. Not at all pleasurable. Well, this this quiz was somewhere in between those two. It was, you know, short, sweet. It leans toward the not at all pleasurable, but yes. It was like a lemon tart. You only want a little bit of it. If there was more of this quiz, it would not be pleasurable. This is true. This is... I'm not sure if this is better or worse than the one we did for Stargate. Because that Stargate one was terrible, but I don't think it had any questions that weren't actually about season one. I think you're right. Its grammar was worse, though, and this one was oh, not. Grammar was this one was not great. No, but yeah. So, well, that was our quiz, and that's most of. It's pretty much our recap of season one. Yeah. So that's our season. Uh, we'll be back in. I don't know, a few weeks, whatever. Yeah, we are going to take a short recess or break here at the end of season one, but we will be back soon. And in the meantime, you can listen to our other show, Stargate Weekly, where we're currently in season two of Stargate SG-1. Yeah, we're only about halfway through season two of SG-1, so you'll be able to keep getting your fix of us there, and by the time we wrap that one up, we'll probably be ready to start doing delta flyer again and so oh, i think we'll be into season two of delta flyer before we finish season two of stargate weekly i don't know counting's hard so our calendars sure so in the meantime you can find both of our podcasts on your podcast player of choice where you can rate and review them you can also reach us at our email address which is delta flyer pod at gmail.com you can find me on twitter at tyrannicus you can find me on twitter at gamicus and you can find the show on twitter at Delta Flyer Pot. And that's our season. Yes, it is.